back to the discourse, uh, my fellow moon crickets. Uh, I am your host, as always, Chad V, and today I'm being joined by my wonderful co-host, Rich and Adair. Say hello, fellas. What's up? What up? I actually found out that moon cricket's a real, a real slur. I thought it was like a made-up slur for Black Dynamite, but it turns out it's actually a real one. Wow. Wow. Well, I had no idea. I mean, there's, lots, there's lots of slurs out there. It's good, it's good to diversify. I can always appreciate, you know, uh, a creative or, uh, you know, rarely used slur, you know, just to bring something back from the past. It's, it's we don't have enough appreciation for history. So if that's we how we get it. I'll t- I mean, we, we, we don't. We, frankly, we don't. No, no one ever talks about people getting canceled for saying the M word. Right. Uh, frankly, a lot of things have upset me this week and it's going to sound petty. But of all the things that have happened this week, the thing that upset me the most, and I don't want to get too deep in lynches, because we've already been we've already been accused of being a black politics podcast. So I don't want to get too deep down with this rabbit hole. Let that label stick unfairly. Let's we get sort of put in a black box, not a black box, but a black box of, you know, Negro politics. The thing that upset me the most this week, besides you know the the multitude of mass shootings and also the uh, rise in exculpatory language surrounding white nationalism, is that I saw two separate lists of the fifty best rappers with fucking Jay Z at the head. And that's number one. And yep. that, that that is fucking ludicrous to me. As someone for I know you fellows are from the West Coast, so we're not going to have much of a disagreement on this. But like the idea that Jay Z is the best rapper is the fucking most ludicrous statement I've ever heard in my life. I mean, it I was, agree. Uh, I saw quite a few of them where they had like people had Kendrick, I had a Pac, and I'm just like, that's not, that's not, not. I had, I saw one at Eminem as a top five, and it's just like, there's no way. There's just no way. Well, the one everyone focused on was the first one that came out. That had that well had Jay Z as number one. Then it had Nas, which I guess Nas as number two is a more or less fine. You know, it's it's a it's a justifiable argument. You know, if you make the argument, I'll put it that. I mean, Joe Budden put out that list, right? That that's that's the no no no. no. Joe Budden disagreed with it. He didn't put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> and come on now. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing How Joe Budden makes three. I don't know what. I just don't know. Look, I don't want to traffic in conspiracy theories because I've already been accused of trafficking in conspiracy theories and been told that I'm, I'm dangerous because I minimize the risk of flat earthers in the, you know, in, in our society with their anti-science uh, mentality. Whatever. They're not as bad as anti-vaxxers or people who believe that leprechauns are real. Um but I mean the Irish. I just I don't know if they believe uppercuts are real. I just it was just a general anti-Irish sentiment. Oh, so um, you weren't talking about them, uh, the Alabama uh, leprechaun? I that might, that might just that was I heard that was just a crackhead who got hold of the wrong stuff. <laughs> no, nah, I was a whole bunch of black folks out there looking for a whole leprechaun. Look, anyway, the point is this: I don't want trafficking conspiracy theories, and so you know. But here's here's my conspiracy: if you put Joe Budden as number three. Of your on your list of best fifty rappers again, I think a list of top fifty rappers is too long. And you know, how do you distinguish between number thirty five and number forty? And what is this list based on? Like you know, uh, earnings, uh, best song, sort of like most consistency, like longest career. Doesn't matter if you put if you put Joe Budden at number three. What you really want to do is put Joe Budden at number one. But you know, if you put out a list of best rappers with Joe Budden as number fucking one, people would rip you apart. So you try to sneak him in there as number three. Like number three is non-assuming. You no, know, maybe number four would have been a little bit better. But like 
Come on now. Because, yeah, I mean, Styles P is up at four is, is questionable, too, but you don't pay attention to that with Joe Budden at three. <laughs> was Styles P four? Yeah, I was like, I is there is there some tracks out there I don't know about? <laughs> is there, like... Wow. Like, that's, like, Dallas was made by people who, like, no offense, like, ha, uh, made by somebody who thinks that, like, white people um, are the arbiters of, like, Jay-Z's career. Right. Where like, you know, if you ask black people, like when Jay-Z stopped being good, they're like, oh, when around the time like the black album came out, Jay-Z stopped being good. Um, and then ever since then, he's been the worst rapper on pretty much any fucking album. Just his verse on Monster, a fucking, it, it, it disqualifies him from being in the top five list of rappers. That verse was like, that was, was a fucking war crime. It came out, it sounded like a fucking uh, middle school essay about fucking cryptids. I don't know. That whole list was that whole list was a hot mess. I can't. I just couldn't take it seriously. I saw Jay Z one. I was like, Nah, I can't do it. I don't even like Biggie like that. Like I don't like Biggie at all. But if you're not putting him at least in your top five, and you got the audacity to put uh, Joe Budden at three and Jay Z at one, but you don't have Biggie in your top five, you don't know enough about rap music to have a list. You're disqualified. Yeah, Jay-Z at top five is, I mean, Jay-Z as number one on any rapper's list, it tells me either two, one of two things. They're white or they're trolling. And, and, that, yeah. and those are the only two explanations about it. It's bad. I'm just like, how do you, how do you, I, it's hard out here. People just get on the internet and start fucking telling lies. It's, you know, you can't really, you, you can't deal with it. Anyway, but let's get to the, let's get to the meat of the issues uh, this week. Right, because it has been a busy week, and I, and I recall saying about the time we did the episode, uh, two episodes ago at this point, uh, maybe three episodes ago at this point, when we had this the up, you know, we had the and Andy Ingo fiasco. Ingo, I, I can't pronounce that name. We have we had the we had Andy Gate uh, regarding the Quillet commentator being assaulted, brutally beaten by uh, Antifa. And, you know, uh, thoughts and prayers out to him. I, I heard he's still in recovery, dealing with severe nerve damage. And that's why he can no longer hold uh, fruit, can no longer hold vegetables, legumes, um, basically any kind of fibrous, fibrous uh, food stuff. It, it just slips through his fingers. Uh, so we pray for him. The discourse has sent him an edible arrangement. And so we were praying for his fucking speedy recovery. But like, I said at the time I was not particularly concerned about what like about like it leading to anything in the short term, because in the short term, I was more or less sure that within three weeks, I think I'd get the time frame that there would be at least one, you know, mass shooting or rather another mass shooting with where the shooter's ideology, the underlying ideology as evidence through, you know, by his own, usually a manifesto or some kind of history of uh, neo-fascist or white nationalist or white supremacist or just generally anti-SJW sentiment would commit a mass shooting and we would no longer be allowed to talk about like the politicization of, you know, of violence or like the result of extreme ideologies and how they lead to fucking like acts of public violence. Because like, you know, every, like basically every, it wasn't, I'm not a fucking, uh, fortune teller it's like every week there's a new right-wing shooting but what i wasn't expecting was there to be two shootings one by more or less uh, like i said uh, a far a, you know one in el paso by you know a trump supporter a right-wing ideologue you know same uh second verse same as the first but then there was another shooting in dayton ohio by somebody who you know 
essentially trafficked within or traffic or navigated left-wing circles. And so like that, that, that opened the door for, to a different conversation about the radicalizing potential about you know, far left ideology or leftist ideology or leftist spaces, um, the causes of mass shootings and gun violence and more or less what there is to, like, what can we do about it? Right? What, can we, what can we do about all these mass shootings in America? And so, I, you know, let's just do first thoughts. First thoughts on all of these mass shootings, guys. What, what's, what's going on? Well, Rich. Oh, well, I mean, uh, I think uh, expectedly so. We see, you know, uh, people suffering from uh, mental illness being unfair target or like unfairly kind of presented as uh, an excuse for this. Uh, we see that generally whenever there's a mass shooting, you know, is like people with mental illness are more likely to be victims of violence than they are to be, you know, perpetrators of violence. And uh, that's generally not the narrative after these things. So that's always one of the things that sticks out, uh, particularly to the things, the the shooter or the, the incidents themselves. One of the things uh, I I watched some corporate coverage of, of these events just to see what was going on there. And occasionally there's, you know, some good thoughts or ideas that come across. Uh, one of them I think was good is like not referring to the people's, you know, rants or whatever as manifestos, but as screeds or don't give them any credit, more credibility than they deserve. I think that's a good point. But then also uh, a random tidbit that was picked up from the, the, uh, Ohio shooter was that uh, his girlfriend mentioned that like on their first date, he showed her a video of a mass shooting. And that was just kind of generally like, yeah, she stayed. Yeah. I mean that, that was, that was the first date and, and they continued to be, <laughs> they, they continued to date until obviously this incident. And uh, so that is just like alarming to me, I guess uh, to like just generally the dating scene in general, but then also like, what that says about the social like fabric of the country when something like that is first date material and it, it like that doesn't raise red flags and, and so on and so forth, you know, is like, it takes hindsight to see that those, that's my, those are my first impressions. <clears throat> Go ahead. Eh? I mean, overall, I, at this point, I'm just like white folks is wild, right? Like my first impression was it's a, it's a shame, right? It sucks that it happens. It sucks that it continues to happen and that nobody's actually seeming to, seems to want to do anything to address the issue of white supremacy in this country as a whole, right? When we look at the Gilroy shooter, when we look at the El Paso shooter, but further than that, nobody in this country seems to want to address toxic masculinity and misogyny in particular as major motivators of this type of gun violence. Everybody focuses on, well, we need to enact gun control. We need to do this, right? But nobody thinks about the unintended consequences that come with those sorts of things, right? That come with the the fact that it doesn't address what caused the shootings in the first place. It doesn't address the fact that we treat, you know, women in this country and people, fems, women, non-binary people, anybody that's not a cishet dude, and in particular, cishet white dude, like they're like they're disposable, right? And so for the for the Dayton shooter, leftist folks need to really in their own circles. And I think, uh, you know, friend of the show, Brittany, I think she said it best when she was talking about people in leftist circles need to check their people, right? Like we need to check folks that travel in our circles for misogyny, period, right? Just as a general, but especially when it seems to be getting more and more extreme. Like I believe it was a Dayton shooter who was in a banned for a genre, subgenre called porno grind where they screed like explicitly 
race, yeah, racist, but uh, misogynistic lyrics, right? Like their songs are about raping and killing women, very, like, very explicitly. And then the dude's bandmates had the audacity to be like, oh man, I could, I didn't, I can't believe he actually did this in real life. Like, are, are you shitting me? Are you shitting me? Edgy's not a form of entertainment, you know? So that's just kind of where I'm coming from. It's like, we have to attack the root causes, gun control, have adverse effects on people of color and other marginalized groups, especially trans folks, especially queer folks, in particular, queer and trans folks of color, because it's white men doing the shooting. So take guns away from white men and then take guns away from the police. Because I, the other thing that I saw was that there are a lot of women out there like, well, women aren't committing mass shootings, but white women, I believe it was a no who said this originally, white women index uh, gun violence all the time by simply calling the police on people of color, knowing the likelihood of them being shot. So white women, you're not, you're not excluded from this at all. I mean, I think you all made some really good points there. I, I will say this thing, I guess, to start of my, my commentary. I think that gun violence and specifically mass shootings like, lies at the intersection of a lot of problems that America is having right now. I mean, they have been having for a long time. And so, like, as a phenomenon, mass shootings have taken, you know, have taken off in the past 34, but 30 years. Uh, you know, number of mass shootings have taken off since the 80s and 90s and, you know, you know, 2000s, partially because of the way our gun, our gun laws have become laxer, the access to, you know, large magazines, access to, uh, you know, various forms of assault weapons, assault rifles. I know people hate when you use that word because they're, you know, they're enabling this, but whatever, have t- has, you know, in some ways mapped onto the increase in gun violence. At the same time, I think you guys make a l- really good point where it's, it's become difficult to talk about this problem in America because the root causes are so deeply in the root causes and the warning signs are so deeply ingrained into people's into, within our culture that by the time it becomes more or less like it's not a problem until it's a mass shooting. It's, it's what I'm trying to say. Right. So I guess starting from the beginning, uh, the 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 shooting in El Paso fits within, you know, largely speaking, a, a, a sort of a pattern of of right of right wing ideology, more or less motivated mass shootings. Right. And then when you loop in the Dayton shooting, you see, you know, a, a more it, it complicates the pattern a little bit because, of course, there like there was not that, you know, essentially that triggering effect or that motivating factor of like having an affinity with the right wing ideology, whether it be Ben Shapiro or, you know, a Stormfront or any sort of classical neo-Nazi group you know, or any sort of classical sort of... Um, the initial blame from many people went towards... I mean, what, like, what, not the initial blame, that's not necessarily fair, but like it, the things that people were blaming became kind of ludicrous where it became, oh, obviously, like video games came back up, right? You know, like the old trope of like, this is, you know, the kids are being radicalized and desensitized to, by, by violence or by the violence in video games where you can like plug in your ps4 and shoot people in the head it's just like we know we've been we've been beating that drum since the 90s that's how the esrb started that's how that's why we have the little ma sticker on on the fucking side of uh god of war 4 god of war 5 god of war whatever 17 is not important um but it's it's interesting because you're like you're now seeing that narrative being pushed by the Trump administration. You're seeing that narrative being pushed by Joe Biden, of course. Like the grumpy old men in the room are, are like are blaming video games and fucking like rap music for bad shootings. And then you also have, like Richard said, you have like mental illness, which has become part of the conversation about like why these mass shootings are happening because 
it's you know it's it's a very it's a very tempting narrative to go down, right? Like obviously the people who are, you know, committing these mass shootings are deviant in some way, right? They're, they're, they're committing a very extreme crime. And so it's very, it's very appealing to try to separate them out from the rest of society by saying, okay, well, this is not, these, these people can't be mirroring our values in any way. This crime is so extreme. It's so antisocial. It's so terroristic that it can't be rooted in any kind of American culture or American um, values, or even, even like, even though it's obviously a very uniquely American problem, uh, that problem is attributed to like the very presence of guns, which they alluded to, which I think is, you know, it's part of the equation because access will always be part of the equation when you're talking about like why people more or less commit. I, I, I don't want to use the word choose. I think choose is like, apply, applies a certain amount of like agency that may or may not be there and not to let anyone off the hook, but like why people choose to commit crimes in the broadest sense of the word, like access is always going to be an option. It's always going to be part of the equation. Like if you don't have access to guns, it's very hard to commit a mass shooting. And I mean, easy access to guns is very hard to commit a mass shooting, but we have to get at the, you know, not only the root causes, you know, not only the root causes that exist within our society, but also be able to problematize parts of our society that or you know, values our, our society that, are not problematized because they act as warning signs. I guess the best example is that what I heard, sorry, I've been going on for a while now, but someone made the point that like what one third of all the people who have committed these mass shootings have some kind of history of domestic abuse against women, right? And whether that's a causal thing, like, you know, whatever is causing them to abuse women, it's also causing them to do mass shooting or whether it's a warning sign. The, the truth is it's not being, it's not considered to be problematic enough for our society that it prevents them from legally obtaining weapons, right? Mm. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it is frankly, like it is, it is, a warning sign, in my opinion, right? If somebody's out there willing to hurt somebody that they, they proclaim to love or care about or have any sort of serious feelings for, then, yeah, you know, going out and hurting them just because you're angry shows a propensity to, towards violence. It shows that you're willing to do that to somebody you care about. So what does it make me think that you're, gonna, you're willing to do somebody you don't even know or somebody that you perceive to be an enemy, you know? No, absolutely. And even more than even more so than that, it's, you know, when you loop in the conversation surrounding, I'm not going to go through this whole thing, but America is kind of a fucking tinderbox, uh, like in terms of like just the propensity and the potentiality for violence. I'm actually surprised that this kind of thing doesn't happen more often with, you know, to be perfectly honest, a broader scope of motivations or rather a seemingly less consistent pattern for motivations. I think, you know, it, it's, I don't say it's easy to blame white nationalism for, for these mass shootings because like they do, like because access to white nationalist propaganda and the particulars of white nationalism that dehumanize, uh, that dehumanize various parts of the population and stoke a certain amount of paranoid fear about this like encroaching, you know, paranoid fear about the encroaching risk of immigrants, the sort of like the dangers of people of color, the, you know, the dangers of the of Jewish people and like trying to institute like Sharia law, uh, you know, Muslims trying to institute Sharia law in the country, like that kind of ideology, you know, and also the ideology and like in the explicit values of white nationalism and fucking white supremacy are, you know, like they lead, like they 
imply and necessitate violence, right? Point blank. And so it's not necess- it's not surprising that the vast majority of the shooters are in some ways associated with white nationalist philosophy. But you know, being able to even take a- another step backwards and say, okay, well, what's going on in our society where people are committing such extreme acts of violence and how do we make it part of a larger conversation with the other more extreme manifestations of what of like essentially the fact that our society is fucking like you know we're, we're a failed state and our society is dying and it's not necessarily immigrants that are causing it it's definitely not immigrants not necessarily it's definitely not immigrants that are causing despite the sort of the, the correlation people make and by people i mean fascists and not really people at all but the, the, the correlation that neo-fascists make between the influx of migrants from the global south and also the collapse of our society and by collapse i mean the widespread social and material alienation but i think that is the underlying bedrock here right there is an underlying bedrock of people feeling socially alienated, materially alienated, materially deprived, a lack of hope for the future, a lack of roots in any particular community that I do think is underlying a lot of our problems. And, you know, we focus on mass shootings again at the, the because, you know, much like police brutality, much like a, a few other issues, it lies at the very far end of the spectrum. Like it, it is a spectacular event. It makes people, it makes people afraid to go outside and not just like it makes people broadly speaking afraid to go outside, but, you know, mass shootings as they exist currently, not mass shooting, mass shootings as they exist colloquially, not how they exist technically. So by that, I mean like mass shootings as they exist or as people like conceptualize them on college campuses and like at shopping malls and public places where like children and babies and fucking, uh, the in grandma is chilling it's like that's not the totality of mass shootings mass shootings include also like gang shootings or shootings in the inner city that go you know that go without that that are don't make it to onto those lists of mass shootings because they're assumed to be the the um the result of interpersonal beefs and gangs or some sort of domestic violence situation you know and even then you can you can also loop in like the opioid epidemic right you know as a as a sign of the listlessness our society is facing or any number or even and this is where you know you can kind of loop in mental illness because i don't i don't think that mental illness has to be uh you know, it doesn't have to be an excuse as long as you properly contextualize what we mean by mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. No, I, I think uh, it's uh, all important points that you raise, and just one of the things that came to my mind that as far as some of the kind of reaction in, in the media, and it, I kind of thought about it when we were talking a bit about, like, you know, preventing these types of events and or addressing how we prevent these types of events, and the calls for basically an increase in the police state you know, why don't we treat these terrorists like we treat the, the foreign terrorists, which would mean in like after 9-11, uh, you know, Mueller helps uh, facilitate a massive illegal domestic spying campaign and so on and so forth. And so like uh, it not only emboldens the kind of paranoia that, that already uh, spins among these far right circles uh, by, you know, actually speculating about spying on them and doing the things that they were totally okay with doing against Muslims. But uh, not only that, it also uh, essentially gives, uh, gets people on the ostensibly on the left arguing for uh, an increase in the police state, which was incredibly concerning towards for me in general, like uh, we've uh, with Mueller in general and, the FBI and all the, the hyping of the FBI and the left seemingly and even Biden's prominence also supporting this, trying to essentially use Trump to pivot, to make a play, to become 
the law and order party again. And even uh, I think we saw Bernie recently talk about how we need to give police more resources in order to address these kinds of or, you know, give uh, uh, police services or, you know, federal authorities more uh, resources in order to do with these types of things. And seeing that kind of convergence is uh, incredibly alarming to me. I mean, but it's the glance are. It's just, it's expected, right? People are afraid. And by people, I mean white people are afraid. And white people, when they get afraid, they think, well, this, you know, the state is going to protect me. White people inherently trust in the institution that is the police. They, in, they trust the, that the state is going to be there for them in their hour of need and that it's going to be like that for everybody, even when, right, all evidence points to the contrary. So, of course, Bernie is going to be about it. Of course, you know, leftists as a whole, white leftists as a whole are going to be for it. Just because somebody's a leftist doesn't mean they're necessarily anti-state in any way, shape or form. Right. And so I I think it's concerning, but I think it's a byproduct of whiteness and something that until we address, we're still not going to start addressing a lot of the causes of these mass shootings. Well, here, here's what I'll say, right? I think there's, I think you can both acknowledge that if the majority of these mass shootings, if the caution, if like the warning signs weren't so much like you hit your wife or you hit your girlfriend or you hit your sister or you, or you abuse your grandmother or your mother, but it was something that we more easily recognizable, we more easily recognize as either abnormal or problematic, we would be able to prevent a lot more of them. Right. But unfortunately, violence against women, while it's illegal, is often, you know, it often exists in this sort of weird culturally gray area where it's like you shouldn't be violent towards women. But the number of people who go number of people who actually get prosecuted for violence against women or go to jail for it or number of people who actually get, you know, sentenced or convicted due to rape or any sort of these other like any sort of crime where a marginalized group is the target tends to be much, you know, much more, much easier to ignore, or tends to be much, tends to be ignored much at much higher levels, right? Similarly, I think you can acknowledge, you can acknowledge that, like, it, it's, it's worth acknowledging that if these people were actually committing crimes in the name of some sort of leftist ideology, whether it be socialism or communism, you know, if there was a large fucking communist, you know, if there was a large communist forum where, like, people where multiple mass shooters had placed their manifesto, uh, that place would, that, that website would have been shut down a long time ago. But for the most part, the internet allows, uh, you know, fascist adjacent incel, uh, you know, incel forums, any sort of forum like that has either even tangentially right-wing associated ideologies or idea, or even if they're apolitical spaces, they're not necessarily pro-fascist or, 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 Republican or conservative, but they just exist as these kind of weird, esoteric, I hate the identity groups like incel or fucking like gamer groups or whatever. Like they tend, if, if they have some sort of affinity with the traditional values or the hegemonic values of American society, they're kind of ignored, right? So you can, you can acknowledge that the police and the law enforcement ignore right wing hate groups and ignore right wing violence and do not label people who do violence in the name or rather struggle to situate people who do right wing terrorism within their proper context of not only just American society and its, its predilection towards right wing violence, but, you know, at the state level and also just paramilitary right-wing violence, but also 
that there is uh there is this actual informal or formal relationship between white nationalists and white supremacists in the in police forces. This that fucking ICE contractor bailed out that proud boy a few days ago, right? Or rather today, and whatever you listen to it. A few days ago was today, depending on where you're listening to it, but whatever. Um, you know, the police are often seen working with fascists, and we know that the the, the Klan and various other right wing organizations actively tell their members to infiltrate police police forces right to get them you know to get a, a sort of their foot into state state control so you can acknowledge that the law enforcement that exists today there is an unequal enforcement of the law between you know as it comes down to left-wing groups and right-wing groups and but you can also acknowledge that hey law enforcement is not the way to go in order to actually solve this problem right you know like you can like giving the police and the fbi or the cia or the cdc although the cdc should be researching gun violence because it is an epidemic you know once you especially when you loop in suicide which is another part of this story this story of widespread alienation you know you can you can acknowledge that without saying hey this is not that's not the solution because Honestly speaking, I don't think more law enforcement is the solution. But, you know, again, talking about the second shooter, someone asked me, like, well, why aren't there more, you know, why can't we have a conversation about why left-wing violence does not, why why left-wing ideology does not end in more violence or it cannot be blamed for this violence? I mean, for two reasons, right? If the Dayton shooter was a fucking left-wing terrorist, he would have shot up a left-wing target, right? He would have shot up a fucking ICE facility, not not to be crass. No, I mean, I I think it's a good point. And like, as far as infiltrating, uh, it wasn't that long as back in... Uh, I don't know, 2017, 2018, uh, the Oklahoma police chief who was like a, got tied to being a neo-Nazi le- uh, leader ended up losing his job, but then I guess got a new job at a different police force. So like, it, 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 the, it's not exactly like they're, you know, super sneaky in their infiltration. It, it's just, uh, there's a lot of uh, overlapping interests between white nationalist groups, uh, white supremacists, and police forces. I mean, they're always has been that's the kind of the formation of the police in the united states as a formal force and we know uh nixon and the the drug war was specifically to disenfranchise uh, black people and hippies and we know reagan was you know basically on board with that and perpetuated it and then clinton comes and does the war uh, goes ahead and reinvigorates mass incarceration the crack cocaine disparities so we also see the the racial racist aspect of that also being bipartisan the the idea that trump uh, has kind of brought this to the forefront other than just actually make people have people pay attention to it i think is inaccurate you know it's like all trump is i guess amplifying it to a degree with his uh his rhetoric but i I think what we see uh going on is deeply ingrained in in the country and is bipartisan and uh goes beyond uh i think party even it's just it's a deep thread throughout america that is a lot of the ideas that are represented in by white nationalists white supremacy and the the police state are actually hegemonic uh, and accepted uh, across even among the left groups i think that points towards what adair was saying earlier about how a lot of this is just shocking and new for white people because finally they're the victims uh, or potential victims you know they're worried about their grandma at the mall getting caught out in, in, in one of these incidences. Whereas I think for a lot of uh, marginalized people, this kind of 
violence at the hands of the state or uh, essentially state-sanctioned gangs is uh, not new. Well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, more or less, I would say that this is the kind of violence that, and I'm not the first person to say, this is the kind of violence that troubles, like, white suburban moms. And that's not to say that it shouldn't. You know, it, it is very, it, it's, it's, it troubles them in its randomness, right? There is, mm-hmm. there is a randomness to it that is not as, that's not equatable to the quote-unquote gang violence that exists within the inner city, inner city Chicago. Right? That's everyone's favorite place to refer to. Like, inner city Chicago is where all the gang violence, and even though Chicago is not even one of the top five most dangerous city in the world. Oh, right. Yeah, and in, 19, in 1999, there was a bunch of drive-bys that were committed by a white fucking supremacist uh, as well, which took them uh, like eight drive-bys before they caught them down because they just assumed it was, you know, gang violence at first until it started. They like shot up a, a Korean church or something. And they were like, oh, wait a minute. But go ahead, continue. <laughs> no, like, like that, 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 I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. But at, at the same time, I think that there is, you know, it, you can't, you can't discount the fact that like everyone is masked off with Trump, right? Like that, like that's the, like that's the, the effect Trump has had on white nationalism in this country. While some people are pretending as though it, like Trump invented it or Trump made it more, I would say, even invented, he brought back explicit racism. I think more, it's more akin to the fact that like there were so many races out there and. And there was, some, there was such a muddying of the water surrounding what racism actually was that like with Trump in office, there's just been a further muddying of these waters. But that's neither here nor there as for, you know, right now. When it comes to the, like, the mass shootings that are occurring, and what Darius point was important, like, you know, you have leftists who are calling for increased police protection. I think that like that does lend itself to the, you know, his earlier point regarding the left, the shooter who was in fact a leftist, but the, it wasn't a leftist shooter in general, right? Like it, it's, it's important to recognize that being a leftist doesn't make you, you know, just it, it being explicitly your explicit politics, your explicit, your, what you describe your political ideology uh, as, you know, yourself, how you define it doesn't preclude you from having reactionary or at least reactive politics around certain things. I think mass shootings, you know, it lends them, they lend themselves to people revealing just how reactionary they are in certain aspects because there is this, you know, there is this, there is this impulse to rely on the police. There is this impulse to kind of just like put these shootings in a category of their own. And if, if not treat the, the shooter as though they're mentally ill, which raises other problems, which I wish we should we definitely touch on after I'm done the sentence, like to at least treat the problem as though it can't be equated to any larger, like larger societal trends, or it can't be equated to, you know, any sort of, it can't be put into any sort of like capitalist or material framework. It can only be attributed to, you know, just blanket white supremacy or misogyny. I think that there is, that's definitely an aspect to it, but we can't necessarily, we can't put these shooters in a, you know, in a, I want to say a bubble, what's we're looking, looking for. We can't put these shooters in a box because, you know, I, I honestly feel like we're going to see more shootings and we're going to see, you know, and there has definitely been an erasure of white supremacy and definitely misogyny. Well, I, I think, actually, I think that we've, we've been, we've been doing better about like examining the role that misogyny plays in these shootings, if again, not if not a, as a causal factor, as like a sign, like as a warning sign, and why that warning sign is not heated, you know, mostly because the police are also most doing a lot of domestic violence. So if you disarm domestic violence, people accuse of domestic violence, well, you disarm a lot of police, but they also do a lot of shooting. So, you know, I guess it, it the pattern holds up. Um, 
like but like but white supremacy has actually kind of still not taken a hold as like hey a lot of the mass shooters in the past you know since columbine really because the columbine boys love their swastika like have had have had have had the underlying ideology at least explicitly be you know at least explicitly be like it's been white supremacy like they like they love swastikas they hate the fact that white girls are banging are banging black uh banging black dudes it's like that like that's an explicit part of their ideology and why they're doing the, the, these shootings where it doesn't map up is like a lot of times they end up shooting white people and so it like our understanding of white supremacy is like oh it's just when you really really like white people and you don't like people of color it doesn't really seem to make sense when you put it in that you know in that framework because like a lot of times these people's targets are indiscriminately chosen you know we not everyone takes a, a katana and kills a black and kills a black guy collecting cans in new in times square sometimes you just go to your local mall and start you know spraying and praying and so like i think but examining white supremacy as a underlying philosophy that is driving some of these mass shootings at least at the beginning you know of the, the you know, of the rise of mass shootings in the era of widespread, widespread terrorism is important to laying home the fact that like white people aren't safe from white supremacy either sometimes. Whereas like white supremacy is not necessarily, you know, uh, a philosophy that is looking to spare white people on an individual level. It's a philosophy. It's, you know, in some ways it is, a, it's a, it's disaffected white people grasping at straws for why they, why they don't suck. And, you know, again, lashing out at, lashing out in an antisocial way, but we don't recognize again white supremacy as not oh, we not we don't recognize white supremacy in white nationalism in uh, associated ideologies as being deviant in our society when we really should because they have a they definitely have a deleterious effect on our society even if they aren't like individually pathological. One of the things I think that might be impeding us is the uh, resistance of examining whiteness itself. You know, because whiteness as a construct itself is incoherent, inconsistent, and doesn't make a whole lot of damn sense. So then when you add supremacy to this weird imaginary construct, you end up with uh, something that doesn't make any damn sense. And then when you go and apply that incoherent in like uh, philosophy to the real world and through things like mass shootings or uh, fascist violence in general, it, it even further disconnects from the concepts or the ideas that make sense uh, to, to the people in the first place. And I, I think the New York Times recently had a, some article about, you know, basically, you know, for white supremacists that don't support violence, this is how you have to, you know, appeal to them, essentially making the argument for these white supremacists that, you know, hey, when you go and do this, you know, the people that may be sympathetic with your uh, ideals of, you know, essentially white supremacy uh, are turned off and, and you're actually having you know, you're being too extreme and you're having a counter effect. And so that was weird. That, that, that was, that was right. a weird, I'll put that out there. That was a weird editorial because, you know, usually they're a bit more coded in their white supremacy. But at that point, they were basically just, you know, they were t they were telling their fucking, you know, the white supremacists who I guess they think read their magazine <laughs> that they think <laughs> it's a, a significant uh, part of their like their readership that like, oh, you should hide your power level and you don't want to alienate all these. You don't want to alienate the people who might be amenable to white supremacy, but, you know, but, but don't like the, like, but prefer to be enacted through more legitimate institutional means. You know, like you, like you, like all of this, you know, all this violence is, you know, really turning us off. It's like, but like, first of all, who is us? Like, who are these good white supremacists? Like, I mean, like, because you might, because you might like want to say, let's forget that. Like, I'm like, I'm not stupid. You might want to do as Tucker Carlson is doing 
doing and deny that white supremacy actually exists or that white nationalism actually exists. Like that, like that I understand. Like there are a lot of races out there. But once you say like a lot of a lot of people in denial out there, a lot of people who like like to sort of like to believe that they're not being like racist, they're being like race realists or, or whatever coded term they have now. But like once you acknowledge that like the person is a white nationalist, can we not now agree that they're that they're like, you know, that they're a problem? It's just, you know, like there's no such thing as a good white nationalist. It's like, that seems like a low bar. Like, hey, you might say, we might disagree about what defines someone as a white nationalist, but you might think my my category or my criteria is too broad. But like once we've said, okay, this person is a white nationalist, can we put them in like the bad bubble? (laughs) No, they're not comfortable with that. Go ahead, there. But yeah, no, like they, they really wouldn't, because if we were to do that, right, again, you end up having a lot of people that would ha- would suddenly find themselves being like, oh, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was, right? Maybe this is like putting white supremacists in solid to the bad guy bubble simply because they're white supremacists, while it's the moral and correct thing to do, is something that will not happen in America. Because again, America refuses to grapple with the extent of white supremacy, both as in, you know institutionalized and non-institutionalized. And so it's something that people are afraid of. A lot of the people, you know, it's the same kind of thing as, you know, if you're a man and you're afraid of being called a rapist, you probably, you probably raped somebody. To be honest with you, if you're a white person and you're worried about being called a white supremacist, it's probably because you are. Like, that's the reason why you're afraid. People just don't want it. And so because of that, people refuse to engage in any real substantial level about what is white supremacy and why it's a problem. Let me need to if I can get back in, uh, just the like uh, the when we were examining if we examine whiteness and we examine white supremacy, then that we have to look at white mediocrity and how white supremacy benefits uh, white mediocrity and that, you know, essentially the concepts of white supremacy, the 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 lingering benefits of white supremacists, white supremacists in power means that white mediocrity uh, still benefits. The one example that comes to my mind is the interview one with like applications where they put black names and white names and essentially having a white name on your application equated to about eight years of experience uh, if you had a black name. And so like not only did was were you less likely to get a call back just by having a black name, but you were your experience and your qualifications were less valued even when you were overqualified. And so like white supremacy and white supremacists like Donald Trump in power makes it so that uh, it it's part of why a lot of white mediocrity is, has security in their role in the capitalist system. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I just want to touch on what Dare said, and then I'll touch on the white mediocrity thing. You know, I think that even less so than like more or less like you probably are a rapist or you probably are like a literal white nationalist. It's the fear of like not being inherently good. It's, just, it's the fear of self-reflection that you might look within yourself and find out that it's like, hey, you know what? I didn't like I am not as morally righteous as I think I am. You know, like I think there is a deep fear of self-reflection within our culture based on a fear of shame and an inability to, to sit with shame and an inability yes. to know how to process the inability to know how to process the idea that like that I that you did a bad like I did a bad and it made people who I don't want to feel bad or I don't want to dislike me or you know even if that is just like everybody like I don't want anyone to dislike me if you're if you have some sort of like weird egocentrism or not even egocentrism like you you know that if you have some sort of weird entitlement where you don't think anyone should ever dislike you no matter what you do it's like having to look inward and like and sort of grapple with hey I, I may have done a bad thing you know 
and it wasn't and it wasn't a fucking anomalous bad thing like it wasn't like me doing a bad thing because i had a bad day or because i was drunk or whatever or even if it was it's indicative of a of a deeper issue within me maybe it, you know it's like i was socialized in a society that, that doesn't value women's agency or i was socialized in a society that views you know people of color either domestic or abroad as subhuman or i was in a, or i was born in a society that thinks that like that believes that violence when enacted on the right populations is justifiable, whatever, you know, encroaching upon the, the sovereignty, whether it's the personal or fucking uh, national sovereignty of another country is perfectly fine. Right. I think, I think that, that like those are, those are all, those are all things that you might look that you might look that you might examine your own actions on a, on an interpersonal level and see that they don't map either. They don't map onto your politics because you're a leftist and you think that those, you know, you explicitly believe or you explicitly state to believe that those things are those, that you believe in those things that you have those values or because you just happen to be like an American black, white, purple, or yellow. And you, you, you tend to, you know, and depending on how close you are to the ideal male, white, straight, Christian, cis, hetero, uh, you know, just honky, how how close you are to it, the the honky, which is like I, as my term for the ideal you know deal white the ideal white American like, depends on how well you can deal with the fact that you you might not be a perfect person. And going back to Richard's point about white mediocrity, I think that is an aspect of this, right? I think it's an aspect that people need to sort of grapple with is that Trump Trump is president. Trump is the apex of white mediocrity. And Trump is, and there, I think there is a contingent of people who like with Trump president. Yes. He's like, he's doing the mask off racism. He's getting up there on fucking stage and telling, telling Latinx fucking Congress people to go back to the Saudi Arabia where they belong. It's like, you know, like what the fuck are you even talking about? That's, that doesn't even make any sense. It's, I know it's racist, but it's also incoherent. Uh, it's just, it's racist and loud and I can copy paste it into my family's Facebook and that makes me happy. You know, that, that's about as far as it goes, I think. Go ahead, can you? Yeah, yeah no, like, it, it, it's stupid and it's racist and not, and it's not stupid because it's racist. It's just stupid and racist in this situation. Like you have, like you have this dumbass racist who's who, like, who is the president? And I think that that particularly has given given rise to a lot of, you know, it's given rise to not only a lot of far right ideologues who are who are sort of like riding his coattails, but it's also given places like the New York Times the impetus to, as I mentioned in our last episode, try to figure out how like how to best position themselves to monetize fascism. And I think you have these mainstream publications like New York Times, Washington Post, you know, of various uh, the Atlantic, whatever, who they because a because right wing ideology is and by right wing ideology I mean neoliberalism as a broad term for pro capitalist sentiment, uh, you know, an anti government, anti public sector sentiment, and neoconservatism as such like a broad term for imperialist racism are hegemonic. You know, it's fascism at least in its lighter lighter forms are easy to sell or easy to monetize because people more or less believe them, right? Like that's the day, that's the danger of the modern alt-right is that they have an easy sell an easier sell than the modern, you know, far left because the far left, and this is another reason why the far left probably doesn't have as much violence. The far left has been being uh, sm uh, smothered in its nascencies for the past 50, 60 years. So the FBI does not in any way stop themselves from like entrapping groups that they consider to be too far left. They entrap eco-terrorists, they entrap black identity extremists, they, they, they assassinate black people, let's be honest. And so there has just been like 
there's been no chance for a like a radical far left paramilitary group to really form in the modern era because the FBI kind of stamps that shit out pretty quickly. Uh, along with there being no modern figureheads within the mainstream politics to to embolden the far left, but that's neither here nor there because my logic exists. I think that the you know Trump being president, the president of white mediocrity, uh, in such a crass way is a double edged sword because yes you have the yes you have the mainstreaming of neo fascism which was kind of happening already, uh, but you also so, you know, you know, as a function of capitalism going rampant and people's lives being shit and alone, you know, fascism and material condition, material and social conditioning worsening in a country that has all this underlying racism and misogyny. And so like the two could they creating a perfect storm. But when you loop in white mediocrity, you have this white mediocre president and some white people, just like some black people under Obama, some white people, their lives aren't getting any better. Right. Trump being president hasn't really made like white mediocre people materially better. Do they feel like socially validated by Trump being president? Probably. But like they're not getting laid more. In fact, you know, this is again, this is not like a, a value judgment. Like like they're seeing their ideas reflected more in mainstream. They're, they're, you would think they'd be happy to see their ideas not necessarily reflected more in mainstream culture, but at the highest levels of government, you know, their ideas in terms of like internet viewership is, are incredibly high. Jordan Peterson, you know, the IDW and their analogous groups are incredibly popular and constantly platformed by, you know, modern, modern, Public, mainstream publications, but they still lack this kind of cultural respect that I think that they were expecting, right? Like, you know, for the far right, you know, far right, explicitly far political groups, uh, whether and also just like anti SJW reactionaries, they're still not getting any pussy despite the fact that Trump is president, you know, not to be crass and like and shallow about it, but that's really what it is. It's like they're still not getting the respect in the cultural capital that they associate themselves or even like the, the just general success that they that they feel they're entitled to. And I think that when you talk about white mediocrity, there is this bigger gap between like what white males expected society to give them and what they've actually been giving, given, if that makes any sense. And so you have this very large gap between, hey, I'm white, I'm a white dude, maybe I'm tall, maybe I'm not, but you know, I'm not bad looking. Uh, Still can't find a job, still can't get a girlfriend. You know, racism is real, it exists, but I'm still not, you know, but, I, you know, I'm still being more or less, I don't want to say bullied, I'm still being uh, disrespected by women and people of color in my, you know, in my day-to-day life, or at least I feel like I'm being disrespected by them because even despite the fact that Trump is president and I still don't see myself having legitimate means to get to that 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 sort of that height of prestige that I feel I'm I, I deserve in a white supremacist society uh, because there just there just aren't that many more like you know capitalism has curtailed how many spots of prestige that actually exist and so now a lot of these people a lot of these white because this let's be honest like these form this type of mass shooting you know maybe not mass shootings generally but this type of mass shooting you know is a white male issue like that gap between like where they're at and where they think they should be or where they they're where they've been told they should be by like white supremacist propaganda is quite large and it's more and i don't want to say it's un unclosable uh or un you know like unclosable through traditional means but illegitimate means deviant means to get that prestige such as mass shootings 
it, they, like, they're having a little bit more sway, if that makes any sense. Definitely. I think that there's a couple things at play. Uh, one of the things that, that comes to my mind is that the, the gap that you describe is uh, exa- exa- exacerbated and amplified by folks like Trump, by white nationalist propaganda, white supremacist propaganda, and it, it's uh, exploited in the degree that it, that gap is then uh, explained explained as, you know, well, it's these marginalized people's fault. That's why what I'm telling you should be happening isn't what you're experiencing in your lives. And like, you know, the reason why I'm experiencing it and you're not experiencing it is because I've, I've dominated those marginalized people appropriately. And the reason why you're not experiencing it is because you're letting those marginalized people run ramshot over your communities. And it's on you guys to take care of your communities to clear out these marginalized people who are preventing you from experiencing the white supremacy that you know you're due and, you know, that they're preventing. And it's like that, that, that dynamic is increasingly uh, dangerous and, and it manifests, I think, in types of ways like this mass shooting, even if they're not, at, even if they're not cohesively putting it together in their minds that way, uh, that's kind of a, a, an effect that's happening. And there's another thing that transpires within this right nationalist uh, viewpoint that essentially, uh, especially immigrants, but then really just people outside of this white nationalist community are seen as not uh, on equal footing as human beings, you know, subhuman and uh, essentially within their philosophy, there's an, an ascription of an amorality to acting on, on these, uh, you know, people outside of the group. And so that when you uh, attack or, you know, terrorize or murder, slaughter, whatever you do to these people, it, it, it's an amoral act uh, or absent uh, moral considerations because these are the enemy in, in, uh, in the furtherance of white nationalism or white supremacy. The, the enemy has no, you know, a right to, to justice or anything like that. And so those two things at play, I think, amplifies the, the likelihood of the conditions for these uh, mass shootings. That's that from my experience, from uh, interactions with white nationalists and, and listening to what they have to say and white supremacists, that's kind of the pieces that I put together. Well, absolutely. But in the mental illness argument, especially within the, the current mental illness paradigm that we have, it, it's it's more of an argument to avoid having to position the shooters, uh, any shooter really, as having a place within our society or their ideology or their actions as having any kind of coherence with what's going on in our world. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like depression is in many ways being caused by people with material social conditions. It's not existing entirely as a biological reality. It's a part of a social reality. You know, it, it's, you know, it's society and your environment interplaying with your, your particular predilection, you know, or genetic predisposition or biological predisposition towards suffering from depression or anxiety. But at a certain point, we have to admit that, like, there are people whose, li- whose lives are under capitalism are actually just really bad. Like, and to not be depressed by what we would consider, you know, depression or to not be anxious would be illogical. It'd be it doesn't it doesn't make sense given the situation that they're in. I mean, we can pretend that this is a matter of of you know positive thinking, but again, that's the, that's a way to pretending it's a matter of positive thinking or a matter of trying hard, or even a matter of mental illness, is a way to absolve society of it, a society and our values in you know capitalism broadly speaking, and the, the many other 
issues that we're dealing with of its culpability in producing conditions that lead to such widespread alienation in the many forms that it takes, you know, the many forms that it manifests as with, you know, whether it be addiction or mental illness or, or fucking gun violence, either in the form of like gang violence or in the form of mass shootings. I think Adair makes a good point where, you know, Again, I would say white nationalism is the is has such a greater predisposition to cause mass shootings that it's worth giving special mention to when we talk about like you know what is causing mass shootings. In the same way, you can get into a car accident without being drunk, but being drunk is a very good way to get into a car accident to the point where we where we've made it illegal to be drunk and drive. You can go back to that analogy. Uh, but in both cases, the the other part of this aspect is that both people were looking for communities. You know, both people were struggling to look for a community where they belong because, like Sadara said, they were like the world simply doesn't make sense for a lot of people. You know, either their position in the world as like a white dude who isn't successful, or their position in the world as like anything else. And so, the mental illness narrative, uh, along with being like a predecessor to like, along with being a predicate to jail people, like it's jail people who are quote unquote biological biologically deviant not I don't know who I'm quoting but you know that's like that's the implication that they're that these are biologically deviant and they're making society sicker by being biologically deviant they're not they're not like these are not functions of society these are just these are anomalies uh, which is what we treat mass shootings are like they're anomalies they're excessive these are extreme. like like they're definitely extreme but are they actually anomalies I don't just I don't agree with that I don't think so I think that if you think about our cultures, broadly speaking, they make a lot of sense. You know, I think they make a lot of sense. Just like I think opioid epidemic makes a lot of sense. I think that people are trying to, in many ways, our society is very punitive. Our society is not very contemplative. And so the idea that you might want to not necessarily make excuses for mass shooters, but like put them within a larger narrative of what is happening in society rubs people the wrong way and they don't know why. You know, or rather they, they think they know why, which is like, hey, you know, you're just making excuses for white supremacy. You're making excuses for misogyny. It's like, well, you know, no, I'm trying to understand it. But also, I think this is part of a larger story that's happening. The second aspect of the mental illness thing, when we touched on a little bit earlier, which is that it seems like it's just going to be, a, uh, you know, a justification to jail people who are who are deviant in some way, who don't conform to society in a way that is more biologically uh, apparent, you know, or rather more behaviorally apparent than it is uh, sort of like you were in the wrong group at the wrong time. You know, like it, it's it's difficult, it's easy to arrest everyone at a protest when, you know, when you just claim they're Antifa because they're at that protest. Like, oh, and so one of the people, like you're dressed in all black, I can arrest you because Antifa is a terrorist organization, so no due process. But like the more sinister thing is making mental illness uh, the you know, making mental illness the way in which we decide who gets jailed illegally or who gets jailed without due process, because that functionally can be whatever, right? It's just it, it's just a way to expand the police state and expand the sort of like the erosion of our civil rights. I think that a lot of people, when we were talking about, many times talked about the concentration camps that we have, we were rightfully afraid that the, that the concentration camps would deepen, right? That, you know, the concentration camps would go from concentration camps and we're, we're, the go, we'd go from concentration camps where large numbers of people and children are dying incidentally due to neglect to concentration camps where large numbers of people were dying due to purposeful like machinations, you know, due to like what a bureaucratic efficiency that we hadn't seen since the Holocaust. When really, you know, it was also just as 
possible that this like that the the current state would broaden its scope in terms of who was going to jail who was going to jail uh without due process you know that again you know talking about like the the erosion of using using the immigrant the quote-unquote immigrant crisis immigration crisis uh the war on terror uh as a way to essentially uh what's what i'm looking for to start normalizing fascism and normalizing the idea of dehumanizing people for indefinite detention. It's like, like this was like, this was always a way it could go. We're like, Hey, you know what? We're we're not, we're we're no longer, we're we're no longer just jailing outsiders, people who are foreign to our country, people who are like literally not protected by our constitution because they're not citizens. Now we're going to create a new category of outsider that's based on a more ethereal, uh, set of criteria, which is like, you know, you were born in this country, but like you just don't really embody its values, either because you politically you're deviant or because biologically you're deviant. You no, know, maybe not disabled, you know, may, but maybe you're, you know, you're just quote unquote crazy, you know? But the broadly speaking, thing, America thinks better of itself a lot, where it's like, like every time we go through a tragedies like this, and it's not to be rude, but like to be honest, like everyone is always sure we're not going to forget it. And then we just forget it, you know, like, like, like that's pattern, like just such as pattern recognition. So like we go through a stage where like everyone's like, we're definitely not going to forget that this happened. And then like within two weeks, we, we, we've forgotten. It. And we, the reason we've forgotten it is because it's never really situated within a larger conversation about what's going on in society. It's always treated as like, these various things are always treated as though they're just discrete incidents. Uh, they're like they're they're discrete things happen discreetly and they they have no they like they don't work in tandem with one another. Uh, but I will say I do think that like gun violence, like this form of gun violence, is probably this and Medicare for all are probably the two most radicalizing issues in American like America today because there's just this huge gap between like what Americans want and all American conservative liberal left right and what the like and what the government is willing to produce in terms of just like people want more gun control and whether or not we agree that that's like that's the panacea people think it is it's certainly within the realm of like possibility that we pass certain you know at least not in by realm. i mean it's something that we could do theoretically if our government functioned but we have this very vocal contingent of people like and, and it's not something that like and it's so many people it's such a it's such a widely popular opinion that it's impossible to ignore it more or less like it's impossible, it's impossible for the media to gaslight people to, to use the borrow an individualized term for false consciousness it was possible for media to trick people thinking that that they they exist in as part of a minority because this issue is just so deeply ingrained in people's minds that hey this is a problem like this is like this is a problem unfortunately its component parts aren't problematized but like the problem like as it exists you know and like as it exists as like a thing that happens mass shootings public you know active shooting events school shootings it's a problem you know, we have to do something about it. And the the government just throws up his fucking hands like, I we don't what can we do? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point you raised about how the radicalizing issues. I would add that uh, particularly among the young younger people, uh, even those that aren't able to vote in the upcoming election, that 
climate change is one too, just because they're like, hey, wait a minute, you guys are supposed to be the responsible ones. And before we even have any influence on our world, we're being condemned to a, a horrific climate apocalypse. That's not fair. And then, so I think that's something that uh, a lot of uh, younger people can can relate to, uh, especially in comes to radicalizing point. Uh, I think you're right also that people will be disappointed with the the effectiveness of of gun laws, particularly because the debate is so centralized around the the sensationalized uh, in nature of mass shootings, rather than the most of the deaths that take place either at the intrapersonal level or at the uh, like uh, with suicides and with handguns and so on and so forth. So there's like there's an aspect of that whatever we whatever it is that ninety percent of people do support. Uh, won't actually resolve the problem, the issues that we're facing, and also because of the the tentacles and the spider-like nature of all the different issues coming together as well that you mentioned. Uh, but we also recognize that, hey, we do have these certain kinds of basic ideas that we think need to get accomplished in our government. Like you said, is throwing up their hands like, no, there's nothing we can do. And it's like, no, wait, well, this is exactly what you're supposed to be here for, and you're telling us you can't do anything about it, and and that, and I think people are seeing that with guns, seeing that with the environment, seeing that with uh, various forms of racism, seeing that with various uh, uh, various forms. And I think that the, as you mentioned, the, the those particular ones are the most radicalizing. But I think uh, the alienation and as well as everything else is is compiling into uh, a large disaffection that is going to materialize in radical action. And then I think it's important then that that action be directed and aimed in. Uh, a way that will get us the results that we're after rather than a new tyrant, if you will. No, I agree. I just think people don't know how to give language to their, people don't know how to give language to the alienation that they're feeling because like they, because we lack a language of class consciousness, right? You know, and not only, not only is white supremacy hegemonic and a lot of, you know, other things hegemonic, which makes it hard for people to be able to like pit people without uh, a radical de-education or re-education to pick it out of just ethereal background noise that they're feeling like that they have sort of, that's just like a calling to do certain things. Like we don't have a strong language of material and social solidarity and material and like being able to, like, being able to we don't have a strong language or a strong platform socially for like being for people to like be able to give coherence to those feelings that they that they that they're struggling with and unfortunately it's a race for people on the left to deliver like to find platforms to give critiques of capitalism and racism and sexism and material and structural you know fucking deprivation that are coherent and are deeper than simply like, well, you know, my mother uh, was the CEO of um, Blackstone and she made actually $3.5 million while my father was the CEO of a similar uh, private equity group and he made $4 million a year. And that gap right there, that's, that's structural oppression, fellas. And it's just like, dude, like you're alien, you're alienating people. Please stop. Like, please, please stop. Please stop telling me racism is when Oprah can't buy a fifty thousand dollar purse. It's like that's deeply upsetting. It's just, speaking of this, speaking of that, uh, hard pivot because we've, we've touched on all the points I really had, and we're just going to go along just to close out. Did you see that motherfucking post where that where that chick 
that black chick, uh, this this white lady at they were like this black chick was at brunch with her with her mother or her sister or some shit, and they walked past this white lady and she grabbed her purse and like in fear of them, and. And in order to and like and this this I, I don't even know what you call her like this this lady the black one like she decided that she was going to quote unquote flex on this racist by buying her lunch or brunch or whatever whatever like paying for her bellinis or some shit and she had the and she thought she was styling and she had the nerve to post about that shit and you you have niggas out here buying rate buying clansmen dinner talking about that's liberation i have never in my entire life been so embarrassed to be black i was like what the fuck is happening i i was like i was like i'm mixed um (laughs) like i don't know what's happening (laughs) Um, searching for anything else to claim (laughs) it's just like fine um i i'm uh, i'm part cherokee at the exact like right right at this exact same time i saw that, that tweet i was going around with like th- 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 that chick was just like i don't know but i have a feeling that our generation would have fought back during slavery and so i saw those two like it was like they were they were like one tweet apart and i was like hmm well i guess that answers that fucking question right just, like, our generation would have been given slave masters many petties oh man then i guess she started cash apping other white people or something i don't uh, i don't know for brunch <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, she convinced me to be racist. <laughs> I'm going to start becoming more racist. Hopefully get some free lunch out of it. I, look, I look at it like this. If you've got money to go to brunch anyway, you know, it's it. you probably one of those bougie black folks who's like, well, I'm just going to show you that I have money, right? When it has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with just, you know, like we said, racist bullshit. I don't know. It's not all smart. It's like Toni Morrison said. I think it was Toni Morrison. I, I saw the quote and she just died. Rest in peace, Toni Morrison. I'm assuming it was a quote from her about like respectability politics and like uh, like in black people in America being ingrained to like want to get like white people's respect and thinking that they're like they're only just one step away with one performative demand, one like one proper one like a really good quote or one book or one fucking proof that Africa wasn't a impoverished nation away from like getting white people to stop being racist. And like that's just not the way it works. But it's like but there is but you're right, there is this bougie black mentality or rather the mentality of most bougie blacks that they just want to see at the table. You know, a lot of like a lot of a lot of, and it's not even just like a black problem. It's like a problem with people who like just who 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 believe that the goal, rather whose goal within the social justice movement or within the equality, social equality movement, is primarily to get themselves like notoriety. It's like they're they're, they're just sit the table niggas. It's like like only. Yeah, the, I mean, this has happened with every marginalized group. Uh, yeah. Up against- whiteness like there's always that it's part of how imperialism and white and white supremacy and all that it structures itself is to exploit uh, and colonization to exploit the vulnerability for people's desire for that kind of uh, uplifting and their willingness to turn on their own uh, for that and essentially accept that seat at the table and nullify it go ahead well no, i mean let's go back to what we're talking about for, for a while now see some people just want to talk about racism they don't want to fix it not that, not that you can like really fix racism in that situation like you know, as long as there as long as there is race there will probably be racism and uh, we've sort of we've crossed that rubicon or yeah we've crossed that rubicon just like i think that we kind of crossed the rubicon where access to gun where access to guns will ever be uh you know 
ever be sufficiently curtailable. Uh, like, but I mean, it's not even just a, like a person of color thing. I think, I think it's a left thing too, where like people who aren't really used to being marginalized, like they just think that there is a way to, they, they, I mean, more or less like it's respectability politics. Like they, they think there's like a way to game the system to get people to give you attention, that give you positive attention. But really it's not, it's not about like buying them lunch or being nice to them. It's just about like, hey, you know what? These people are, these people are not, are not open to the message. These people are not open to the message of my humanity. And so why are you trying to convince them? You know, like, like, like why, like why try to convince them of, you know, like why, like how is buying them lunch going to convince them that, like, that you're, that you're not a nigger? I don't understand. Like, do you, you see, honestly, if anyone's a nigger, you the nigger because you, right? because you bought the racist lunch. It's like, you know, they're just like, man, and they didn't like, it's like, man, these bougie blacks don't even have to farm the food no more. They just buy it for me. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, not I mean, me. Honestly, it's not some me. wild shit. To be honest with you, like, so when I was finishing undergrad, right, at the multicultural center that I used to work at that I didn't work my last year, right, but I'm sitting there chilling, and there were white people would come up to the glass door, the giant glass doors, and literally just stare at all the black people. They would stare at all the people of color, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe y'all are really, like, like out here, right? Like, it was some wild shit. Well, I mean, so I used to get on them. Like, I used to get, like, be like, can I help you? What do you need? Why are you just staring at us? I had a black dude try to get me kicked out of the space because he was like, well, you're just making the white people feel uncomfortable and that's just not fair to them. I mean, you're you're making, listen. Uh, Their old schools probably just didn't have an exhibit like that. And so this is their first time (laughs) seeing y'all in like your natural habitat. (laughs) So Very unique experience. Honestly, for all you know, they were Italian and they were just trying to join your multicultural, they were trying to join your, you know, your your, your person of color alliance. Like undergrad was weird like that, but it's, I don't know. I have that bougie problem with, like anybody that's bougie, obviously, because they grew up with money. But especially bougie mixed kids, right? Like, and by mixed kids, I mean white. I mean, like the black white mixed kids, not the rest of the, us, but the blackish. It, yeah, like the ones that are like, well, I. They try to index whiteness in some way, shape, or form because in their mind they are white, even though they'll never be white to society standard. They've got to try to index because they're like, well, you wouldn't want me in here. Well, I mean, the 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 the, 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 pro, the prototypical the prototypical like nigga at the table uh, st- uh what you call it is is like the black it's like the black college the black the black student union uh member it's like at, at your college right like, like, it's like 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 those like those are the people who like always just like, who's like version of radicalism is incredibly just like institutionally based where it's like they just want to be able to sit at a meeting with the the provost to talk about their about like about there not being enough money going to the africana studies department you know like, like, like that's like that's like that's really just it and like those are the people who eventually become like commentary on MSNBC. And like I, I, I had an audience with the chancellor last week and blah, 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 blah. Like, this, this, this is their, their radical action. <laughs> there are no, like, the, the, like the real niggas join like issue oriented groups, like prison abolition groups or like, you know, like less, I don't want to say black identity extremist groups, like, like, like less generic black groups and more just like we have like, we, we have a, like, we are an ideology or an issue focus group. Like, we're, hey, we're like, we're the legalization group or we're like the communist, the black communist union, or like, like the, you know, the NYU student Panthers or some shit or the NYU, like young SDS or whatever is going around now or then whatever, whatever, whatever SNCC is, whatever my creation of SNCC is at some of these schools. But, you know, we've been going on for a while now. Final thoughts. Fuck white people. I mean, listen. 
I, I don't want to say I hate white people in cops, but certainly I could mostly because that's redundant. no 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 white people are fine sometimes really it's just like understanding a problem is not the same thing as excusing it and i think that some people have that some people have that some people have that punitive aspect of our society ingrained in them where like if you even try to understand a problem not because like you care about the people (laughs) because it's yeah i mean you have to be able to solve it like you know like they get because like ultimately speaking you you don't want to you don't want to succumb to hegemonic conservative values and frame them as being liberation and at the same time you don't want to make excuses right like you don't want to be like okay well these people who commit this very specific crime are deserving of the death penalty or are just inherent or just inherently deviants but at the same time you don't want to like infantilize them and say they're not responsible they're not responsible for their own like actions okay well here are the structural and systemic causes of these actions and here's what we can put in place to prevent this from happening in the future and here's like the punishment we can dole out in the present that you know to combat this issue uh but some people get like focused on and you know and rightfully so because we've had a we've had a litany of fucking the entire history of american of america is just like coming up with excuses for why we can't punish white people that's called white supremacy right really if 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 nothing else you know there are a lot of definitions there are a lot of operational definitions of white supremacy and of you know patriarchy and of you know uh, homophobia or heteronormativity but like the, the one of the easiest ways to understand it is just like it's the view that these oppressor classes or whoever represents these oppressive classes those oppressed these oppressive classes and what whether it be a rich or elite or black or not black or or white or male or straight like these people when within the dynamic of them being the oppressor over another uh, oppositional class or like you know, essentially underclass uh like their position there is always more intrinsic to the functioning of the social order like their forgiveness their ability to be reformed is always more intrinsically connected to the functioning of the social order or whatever institution that they in or what then the people who they are transgressing against who are in the underclass and if you can adequately index these institutions or like these systems that require you to be forgiven you know because otherwise they would set a bad precedent for like society you know it would lead to societal collapse like you can get away with a lot of shit right you know like like the whole like you know if you look at the Me Too movement as an example of that of that dynamic. It's like one of the biggest complaints about the Me Too movement was that it was going to basically end society. We were going to end society altogether. That like if we that if we if we took any step formal or informal to sanction uh, abusers, that men would be too afraid to. To like to approach women for like to approach women at all, and all fucking would end, and no babies would be born, and society would collapse. Now I gotta tell you, dude. You know, since Me Too, during Me Too, before Me Too, after Me Too, I've been getting the same amount of fucking same amount of fucking uh, pussy this entire time. Like it just wasn't it wasn't the thing that was gonna happen. But the fear of it was the first thing people tapped. The fear of like literal societal collapse and human extinction was the first thing that people brought out because the very the very idea that you would hold a person in a position of power in this case men uh, accountable was like anathema to what our society stands for but I, were we closing this out final thoughts <laughs> i'm back yeah, to I'll, white people yeah i'll just re- rehash what you said it a bit uh, a little bit differently i think and just that like essentially there's this there's a club man it was a it was a white boys club uh, landowning you know white guy club it's first and 
throughout history, they've had to give uh, some concessions in order to maintain the club and prevent the club from ending up with the with their heads on pikes. And throughout the time, and is like, and we're getting to a point where they've allowed quite a bit of uh, token seats. But uh, essentially, there's a still a large swath of people that can recognize that this club is destructive towards our social fabric, but they also recognize that it, the benefits are quite enjoyable. And it really boils down to white people confronting that, that issue of, you know, it's like you, they want to talk about uh, the, the problematic nature of white club, but they don't want to actually dismantle white club because they fear a society without it. And it doesn't make it society can't make sense to them without it as long as they still consider themselves a member because there is no uh, white club in a functional society, functional healthy society afterwards. And, and so for the members of it that enjoy its benefits, it, it, they have to confront that issue and it's never going to be issue, easy. And e generally all of us as Americans have to confront that issue as well, just because a, a more equitable society, globally speaking, likely reduces some of the amenities that we've come uh, accustomed to as well. So uh, we're, none of us are free from that kind of consideration and we all benefit from uh, taking some time to do it. All right. I co-sign that. Yeah. Uh Thank, thank you for ending us off on like on such a positive, beautiful, uh, uh, dark, <laughs> dark note. Right, <laughs> and, and that was a black joke. It, it was it wasn't a it wasn't a joke about like the melancholy aspect of your speech. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Deuces. Yeah. I got black, I got white, what you want? Hop outside a ghost and hop up in a fan, on. Uh. I know I'm about to blow, oh, oh, I ain't dumb They try to take my floor, I take their ass for ransom I know that I'm gone, they see me blowing up, now they say they want some I got two twin blocks, turn you to a dancer I see two twin eyes, leave them on a band, uh. And I got two thick thighs, wanna link the game I got red, I got blue, what you want? The Chanel, Balenciaga, Louis Vuitton She know I got the Fanny Prada when I am along me a diorite, I need me to run. I started from the bottom, you can see the way I start. I want all the diamonds, I want that shit to wear time. The opps they tryna lie me, cause they hate the place I'm from. But them niggas don't know me, they just know the place I'm from. I got lots of shorties tryna pull up to my place. But you ain't want me last year, so just get up on my face. They all up in my inbox, so I know they wanna taste. I know they want my downfall, a nigga, are you lit? I got black, I got white, what you want? Hop outside a ghost and hop up in a fan, uh. I know I'm about to blow, oh, oh, I ain't done. They try to take my floor, I take their ass for ransom. I know that I'm gone. They see me blowing up, now they say they want some. I got two twin vibes, turn you to a dancer. I see two twin eyes, leave them